Welcome to episode 12 of the Practical Operations Podcast. We are your hosts, Brendan Dusendorf, Jack Neely, and I'm Jared Watkins. We're here to discuss the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about load balancing. I've only used uh, a few uh, load balancing solutions. One of them open source, one of them closed source. Um, so years and years ago, I've used LVS, the Linux uh, virtualization or Linux load balancing project, whatever. Um, and I, I really liked it. I love that it's in the, in the kernel space. It's extremely fast. And I really like the option to basically route the traffic to the individual servers, and then have them respond back so that you're not having to, uh, your load balancers don't have to actually keep up with the traffic. Uh, and then, Jared, you are speaking my language. <laughs> and then I have recently, done so much work with LVS and IPVS. It's not even funny. It works. It works at scale. Yeah, it's it's just it's dead simple. Um, and uh, and then and then unfortunately, I've had to deal with F fives in my ladder, uh, ladder stay, and um, not as is, is thrilled with those. I mean, I, I guess they're great. And I guess, you know, the, the problem was we didn't use any of the features. We were basically doing TCP load balancing, which could have been done with LVS, Nginx, Nginx uh, HA proxy, any, any open source load balancer out there. And, uh, but we were forced to use that. And, and this was also a version before they even had the puppet integration. So, I mean, we you're stuck using a GUI and I really despise that. But so, uh, I really love LVS, and then I guess you can almost call it load balancing. Um, for all of the Rails projects I've ever done, I've always fronted them with Nginx to uh, reverse proxy the traffic to uh, our uh, application servers, which usually were Unicorn or the like. And uh, Nginx is really great there, especially because you can use Unix sockets instead of uh, TCP connections. I am also a big fan of LVS. I've used it in a number of places, a number of times for things. And it does, it lets you work at layer two as well as layer three and up. So you can do some really crazy things that most people don't think you actually can do with load balancers. Um, rewriting MAC addresses and headers and packets. And so you have the, the server that you're load balancing a connection onto actually do the communication and not route back through the load balancer, which is extraordinarily handy in resource constrained, resource constrained environments. Um, I similarly have a disdain for F5s in the four environments that I've worked in that have had F5s in almost no case were the F5s used to their full potential and they were unbearably expensive. One of the other hardware solutions that I've used that I actually kind of liked was a, pr- a product called Packeteer that was more for traffic shaping, but it could do load balancing and link aggregation and stuff as well. And it was a pretty slick interface. Um, it had a interesting feature that it failed to open. So if the if the device failed or the power went out on the rack that the packeteer was in, it would just it would connect the links so the the packet shaping parts of it would just fall out and not have not be in the way and not have the network go down entirely when it was when it was broken. Um, that said, for both of those, I'm becoming a much larger fan of using things like HAProxy and Nginx for load balancers because. The knowledge base is out there for people to use and to abuse them. They're common, they're easily installed, and they're fairly performant for what we do. So it's it's a, it's a fundamental piece of load balancing technology that people should understand and use. And 
from what I've heard, I think the Amazon ELB, the, the Elastic Load Balancer, is basically HA proxy. Is that right? It's a EC2 images running HA proxy, I think. Which makes it which, um, which speaks sorry. greatly it's, in its favor. It's EC2 images running Nginx. That's what I've heard. Okay, sorry. My bad. But it's uh, that speaks well of both of those wrong, But um, that, that's the the internet rumor I've heard. And I've seen HA Proxy do pretty awesome things in terms of scaling out, scaling up, having large pools of HA Proxy servers manage incredible volumes of traffic to even larger pools of application servers, and be able to transparently drain and resume and balance and shape traffic and move things around without a lot of pain, which is kind of awesome. And the fact that on the top of all of that, it's free if you have the, the engineering talent and time to configure and to maintain it. And, and in the last uh, stable release, they added SSL termination support. Are they offload SSL now? They yes. did. Uh, it's 1.6 1. or 1.7? 1. 1.6, 1. I think, they added SSL termination. Nice. Yeah, HA proxy is pretty slick. Uh, it is... It is one of my preferred solutions nowadays. Um, as I've alluded to before, I've done lots and lots of LVS uh, work for for all sorts of crazy sites and all sorts of different bandwidth uh, problems. <laughs> uh, my graphite cluster and StatsD solution is completely fronted by LVS, and I do a million StatsD metrics a second. Um my the biggest problem i have with lvs at this moment in time is that my interrupt usage is getting a little high that i need to address but uh less work in your interrupts is is always a good thing um i know for me there's some ip tables rules i can uh adjust to have less work in the interrupts uh then it becomes tuning nicks and that's always a fun job if you're you know into hardware Oh, gosh, I hate hardware. Um, I've used uh, Amazon's ELBs a bunch. Um, They are well thought out. They're software-based, but they take advantage of Amazon's other infrastructure to make a a fault-tolerant load balancer for you. Um, Amazon will automatically spin up at least a couple EC2 images in different availability zones. Uh, They don't... um, span multi-region oh, that's sort of a different problem um, and a lot of the solutions we've been uh, talking about are hardware specific or perhaps region specific in the cloud um, having recently done some work with uh, Prometheus and alerting uh, one of my tasks has been to to how do I load balance and fail over this situation in the case that I lose uh, one of my data centers and once you're outside of the data centers, usually uh, you're sort of looking at a DNS-based uh, load balancing or failover uh, method. Uh, Amazon's Route 53 has some great tools for doing health checks. They will health check things outside of the AWS cloud, which is pretty awesome. So uh, using a Route 53 as a sort of a global load balancer um, is very easily possible. And you can implement some of those tools uh, yourself with enough time engineering talent um, on your end as well. Um, 
Let's see, there's also a number of third-party um, caching services. Uh, if you're using uh, websites, REST-related stuff, that will um, also help you in your load balancing needs uh, globally. Um, Cloudflare is one of the folks I think of. Uh, Amazon has CloudFront, uh, just to be confusing. The work that Cloudflare guys have done with BGP and Anycast and everything else they've been they've been working on. They really are the network experts as far as, as BGP and Anycast uh, load balancing. And that is, that is pretty cool stuff. I had started to explore a, a solution to, to do that kind of load balancing. And I very quickly realized how very complicated and very squirrely a lot of those things really could be if you didn't have complete control of everything. And You have um, to be a network engineer and have control of your network. And if you're not in a bare metal sort of environment, um, you don't have that level of control. So you mentioned hardware tuning earlier. The Cloudflare guys have some great blog posts where they actually are uh, creating their own NICs to do the low layer, the, to do higher level processing, so they can even offload from the kernel because uh, the kernel is too slow. And so they're you know they're doing ASIC chips to do some some higher level things to push even more traffic. So those guys are really, really intelligent. That's really the cool thing about Cloudflare. They will actually tell you how they have built their network. And their their blog and website is really, really in-depth if you want to go learn yourself some networking. And they usually have some sort of write-up when there's a huge internet out. Well, not even a huge internet outage, but if there's any kind of BGP mishap that's um, somewhat newsworthy. They usually have a write up about it, like, "Oh yeah, this this happened at this time, and someone did this." It's yeah, they're it's really so great. dependent on BGP routing that if there's a BGP attack or some sort of yeah BGP issue on the network, uh, network being the internet, they know about it. They had a and basically, recently. they've become a a routing monitor for the entire network or entire it, internet. Yeah, they had a post recently up about how much black hole traffic they could absorb for you know, squelching denial of service attacks and those things. And they were talking about how they're now, because they've gotten so big and they're, they're involved in so many different places that they have an, an always on view of what DDoS traffic looks like in the world. And it's a, it's a pretty awesome place to be for them. And, and since we are talking about BGP, I think it is worth mentioning, uh, since you're mentioning route 53 and, and doing DNS, uh, load balancing for multi data center. The BGP is a is a great solution for that to guarantee that those things happen. Because if you use DNS and there is some nasty ISPs out there who ignore your TTLs, uh, there's then some your nasty load desktop will... clients that ignore your TTLs. Exactly. There's a lot of things that ignore TTLs. <laughs> so if you use BGP, it's guaranteed since you're actually moving your IP space around that the traffic will go to the right data center. But that is also more expensive. You have to you know, do all the, the stuff with Aaron and all that stuff. So uh, it's Load definitely a more expensive is a, route. is a stacked approach. Uh, you've got DNS on one layer. Uh, once you get into the data center, you've got uh, LVS or Nginx or some sort of tool in your data center uh, to, to recognize and remove unhealthy servers at any step along the, the tree. Uh, it's not just a 
usually a load balancing is just not a, a single solution problem. I've been seeing a lot of folks recently use Zookeeper and things like Twitter's Finagle service to do service discovery and registration for pools of load balancers. So you have very quick, very responsive, very stateful connections about or views into the health of all the, mem- the member servers in the pool. So as you add in, as you add, say, Docker containers or hardware hosts that are flaky or however it is, you can very quickly have the load balancer respond to the change in traffic and ideally your end users never notice. One of the things that, that I think most people uh, uh, probably work with is how to set up load balancing in a cloud-based uh, situation. Uh, I'm most familiar with AWS um, and its use of av- availability zones, its use of uh, regions. And the way Amazon has their um, availability stuff set up, um, usually uh, there isn't a region-wide outage. If you have uh, multiple things in or copies of your service each availability zone, uh, one of those machines will be reachable, uh, usually in most cases. There have been region-wide outages before, um, and that's usually where you step up to ELBs in multiple regions um, with a DNS or DNS geolocation uh, service running on top, and Route 53 does that. Uh, there are a lot of folks out there that don't quite um, understand Amazon's high availability um, tools, and you're more than welcome to set up a service that will easily fail if if you've got stuff that's dependent on one availability zone in a single uh, Amazon region. Um, and that's that's one of the key things to uh, plan out when you're planning your services and your infrastructure in AWS. And I think it's worth mentioning, um, I have no direct experience with it. I've been wanting to play with uh, Google's um, cloud offering, but they recently released a oh, uh, paper on their uh, load balancing service, Maglev, which apparently they also use internally. Don't don't quote me on that. I, I think I read somewhere that they also kind of dog food this. Um, but it's it's an interesting read, and I imagine that if if Amazon doesn't already have something very similar to this, because it, it kind of combines using um, some network-level protocols and then um, software to find uh, load balancing, um, I'm sure that they're not too far behind. Uh, but it's just it's it's a really interesting read and some really smart people there as well. So tonight, just before the show, was the first time that I heard about Maglev. Can you walk me quickly through its its approach to the problem? I can try to explain it as best as I understand it. I'm I'm still trying to go through like my second read of the paper, but basically, there's a um, they use a network. Uh, routing protocol called um, ECMP, Equal Cost Multipath, that basically distributes the traffic when it hits their routers to the maglev machines. And then the maglev machine is is uh, software that then um, makes sure that the um, it routes those packets to machines based on you know least cost routing or or um, whoever's the least used. And uh, through the combination of those two items, they're supposedly able to saturate a 10 gigabit link. Um, so, uh, yeah. But basically, That's it's just... Uh, it's completely it's, far away from what 
uh, Cloudflare is doing with their Anycast stuff. It, it, exactly. It's a combination of, of routing protocol with software um, that does the load balancing piece. So, yeah. Are they releasing this as open source? They've released the paper. I don't know if there's actually any software, like the, the software piece behind it. I don't know if that's been released, and I don't know if that's going to be released. Okay. So Sometimes these announcements come with code, and sometimes they are, here's a thing we're doing in architecture, and because we're doing it in architecture, it is not shareable because it's so specific to our environment. So I was curious. Yeah, I think it's more of that. That's just, here's how we're doing it and they'll keep the magic sauce to themselves. I've heard lots of good things about uh, GCP, um, but I've never uh, had a chance to really dig in or or use uh, Google Cloud Platform. But uh, Maglev is not the only really impressive thing I've heard about them. And their pricing has really dropped too. I think Amazon, both of them are competing really well now. And I, I think actually in some cases, uh, Google is actually cheaper than Amazon and I, and I really do like how um, they have the uh, continuous on credits or whatever where if you use this if you use a server continuously you actually get the price break whereas with Amazon you have to go ahead and which luckily now you can do the one year no upfront pricing um, but you you would basically get that at, at GCP with no commitment whereas you'd have to do the one or three year with AWS uh, reserved instances. And the pricing shell game. <laughs> it's true. In the before time, one of my favorite setups for doing load balancing was having a pair of servers that were running monitoring or other critical services that were providing state for the rest of the environment that people could see what things looked like. And the best way to handle load balancing was actually to run LVS on the servers themselves that were hand, that were they were load balancing. So the the site connected to um, the server shared an IP address via layer two, and we had to span VLAN between data centers because we convinced networking to do it. They were not terribly pleased because of <clears throat> other networking protocol issues. Yes, the routing implementations. But once you have it set up and you have a, the layer two, um, the shared layer two JSON networks, you can pass on the IP address seamlessly between machines without low enough that you don't drop pings, you don't drop anything else. Everything just basically works. And then each machine runs LVS and keep alive D, and you can do some rather awesome magic with. I need to bounce the server. I need to do whatever, or the server's unavailable, or the link between the data centers is dead, so we now we we have split brain, and we we can figure out where to where things should land. And it's all software configurable. It's all easily accessible and understandable by mere mortals. It doesn't take a PhD in network protocols to understand. And as long as you know which IP tables rules to add to let the right ICMP packets through, you're in. So I have a Keep Alive D is a magic piece of software. Yeah. I have a lot of healthy respect for both, for, for the combination of IPVS and KeepAliveD. For those not in the know, KeepAliveD configures your LVS, uh, health checks your servers in your LVS pools, removes them if they're unhealthy, um, uses the virtual redundant router protocol to talk to its peers so you can have 
active, active, active pairs of routers. And they will uh, shift IPs between themselves uh, if if one of the routers dies. Uh, you can use Keep Alive D and its components uh, separately. So you can simply set up two Keep Alive D uh, servers in two different data centers that communicate directly with each other and can uh, uh, perform certain network actions or any anything that you can script. Um, if one of the servers goes down in that uh, 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 pair that you've set up. I spent uh, quite a bit of time thinking about using that for my uh, load balancing needs for Prometheus's Alert Manager, since uh, since Alert Manager isn't really a finished uh, product. Um, and the thing that you really want with alerts is if the uh, main machine routing your uh, alerts goes down, you really want your alerts to still get out. You really want your folks to still get paged. Because um, if one of those machines fails, there's a pageable problem. <laughs> also, anybody who tries to sell you an active-passive solution these days is not, is not thinking. Yeah, Don't buy that. Especially if you're buying hardware. But try as I much as you can. I have never met a hardware solution um, that you had to pay for because it's hardware that I actually liked. Have you, Jared? Well, usually when you're paying for the hardware, it's closed source, so no. <laughs> but I, well, there also, are advantages to being closed source. There, There is. I guess for me, the, the biggest thing that I like about HAProxy or Nginx is that you can you can script it and use it against things like you were talking about earlier with service discovery, um, uh, Mesos, Aurora, uh, Marathon. And so then it becomes, you know, as long as you have a, a an easy way to define your applications, everything else just kind of works. But then if you're using some of these other solutions, which now admitted some of them do have APIs to where you could script this, whereas before uh, you would have to manually def- go in and, and use their GUI and use, you know, go in and, and met, met, um, add those every time. And it just was a, a pain. Reminds me of the, the bad old days of hardware firewalls where you had to download a a Windows or X11 management client to get into the firewall rule editor. And, oh, they were awful. They were just so bad. Ron screaming. On a very mild tangent, Google Fiber is coming to where I live in the next, I don't know, 12 to 24 months, I guess. And one of the things that some of my my friends and coworkers have been discussing is getting small, like the the Microtik routers in our houses, if once Google Fiber is here, and creating a reasonable, failoverable network presence from hosted from Google Fiber between our houses. So we have... Easily discoverable and shareable network resources between ourselves. And then if we were to have web servers and other things in our houses, this gives us a way to have hands-on with things like Raspberry Pis or whatever, but also fault-tolerant that if one of our houses had a power outage or other things. And the Microtech boxes start in the, I want to say 45 or $89 range, somewhere there. It's under 100 bucks. And they are closed source, but they rev them so quickly, and the API is open, and there's a a very decent SSH shell that you can get into to do stuff with, that they're they're an interesting look for a a small office kind of environment or remote 
a remote branch office kind of thing. That's not bad for whom router at all. Yeah, and it's it's a bit of a tangent from load balancing strictly, but I know they have load balancing functions in them, and their larger devices go into the thousands of dollars and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But yes, those of us that work for home uh, do tend to appreciate a backup internet source. Because I make my money over my internet connection, and my uh, internet provider is not always the most reliable. But then again, it's it's a residential service, so it's a a lot different than than business level service or or university, uh, where you're plugged into a giant ring around the entire state. Oh, fiber optics. Do we have anything else to share about load balancing? Uh, I guess like I had alluded to before, it's not, I guess, strictly load balancing. It's more of reverse proxying. But if you are running any sort of um, web application, you should definitely look at using Nginx as a, as a reverse proxy there. Because not only is it, uh, in my opinion, it's a little bit quicker than, than Apache because it sustains more connections. Uh, it also handles uh, some nice things for you, like if they're slow clients or... Um, some some nasty things on the internet trying to get to your application in terms of uh, you know trying to uh, mess with the connections or send you some different uh, instead of, if your application can't handle anything other than like a get or a put or whatever and, and they're trying to send like a head or something like that a different um, HTTP verb you can do some nice things to block that off um, and I know you could do some of those things with Apache too but uh, anyway it, you should definitely check it out because it's a really handy a piece of software, and uh, you can happen to load balance TCP connections as well. I do like using Nginx to to wrap app- online applications, and I always uh, tell folks to please wrap your your web app in some some sort of uh, reverse proxy that you know can offload in uh, SSL, can offload uh, authentication for you, um, and you know works can withstand the forces of the internet. Because there's lots of nasty stuff out there that you don't always want to have to code your application to to defend itself against. Or or the application servers just can't handle it. You know, I know Unicorn has problems with slow clients and a few other things where, you know, it just, it, it will cause your application to, to collapse if you do not have something in front of it. Sounds good. That wraps it up for episode 12 of the Practical Operations Podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf, Jack Neely, and I'm Jared Watkins. Thank you. Good night.